everybody. Welcome back to the What's Up Finance podcast, a podcast where we discuss what's up with the market, the economy, and any other worthwhile topics and discussions. My name is Matthew Campbell, and joining me is my partner, Camden Elkanati. Today, we are also happy to welcome Alex Zabit. He is a writer, contributor, and partner in the ACA Foundation. He contributes to the political sections in the What's Up newsletter, and he has started his own political podcast under the ACA brand. How's it going, Alex? What's up, guys? Thank you, Alex, for joining us. Today, we have a very interesting topic. So I told myself that I would not do a podcast on COVID-19 unless it affected me in my circle of friends or me personally. Well, today, we're going to be talking about COVID-19 and how to overcome it because Alex Zabit and his girlfriend, unfortunately, contracted it. Alex, can you please give us a little background on yourself and talk about what you do with the ACA Foundation? Yeah, so generally, um, I try to cover um, and edit the different um, political stories that we report because, you know, generally we have uh, different sections, right? We have the finance section, we have the market section, um, and then, you know, the political section. And that's, you know, kind of my, what I try to take charge of. Probably read my different pieces uh, about Hong Kong, um, about the election, Democratic primary, different things like that. Um, I'm a political science major, um, graduated from UC Santa Barbara, um, and uh, you know I'm certainly no professional, but um, I uh, I try to take what I've learned um, and what I've seen and what I've um, you know worked with and try to apply it to trying to decipher the kind of politics of our time. Very cool. So today we'll be talking about two important subjects. The first is Alex's firsthand experience in having COVID-19, taking care of his girlfriend who also had the virus, as well as living in Texas during the new wave of virus cases. The second subject will be on politics. And I wanna ask the simple question of, what will change if Biden is elected and what will change if Trump is elected? What are the consequences and benefits of both? So first, let's hear more about COVID-19, taking care of your girlfriend. What were the symptoms? Was she in pain? Is she okay now? How are you moving forward? Is there any long-term effects? Yeah, so um, I will say, I want to say firstly, um, you know, as this pandemic came out um, and, uh, you know, started kind of closing everything, you know, I definitely try to wash my hands, you know, wear a mask and like generally try to not go to crowded places. I haven't been to a bar in months and I missed all of my favorite holidays, including Cinco de Mayo, um, St. Patrick's Day, now July 4th, even Memorial Day barbecues I didn't participate in, which, you know, those are the highlight of my year. You know, that's what I look forward to every year. Um, but I, uh, we, we generally stayed in, um, and, uh, did, tried to make sure that we didn't contract it because, you know, we didn't fig- we, we figured if we were going to go to the grocery store or maybe even out to like a restaurant, um, if we did, if we were reckless, you know, we could give it to someone who like genuinely was, um, you know, at risk, which would be really bad. Right. Um, then my girlfriend went to go visit her family uh, in Chicago and she came back feeling a little bit under the weather. Um, and she ended up contracting the virus, uh, which was a huge bummer. Um, so basically, uh, 
what what's happened is she's experienced nausea, um, you know, general exhaustion, fever, uh, muscle aches, and breathing problems. And you know, I think one of the things that's you know that's important to note is that you know in, in the in the narrative that we hear in the media today, uh, we hear about how there's high risk groups, there's low risk groups, you know, but most likely if you're young and healthy, you're probably not going to die. And I think it's really interesting that. The media kind of focuses on that because that is, you know, mostly true. But at the same time, I mean, you know, I'm a pretty healthy guy. I exercise um, quite a bit. I work out a lot. I run a lot um, and I try to eat well generally. Um, and I also generally recover from diseases really quickly. I got hit with this and I, I want to tell you that I had some of the worst breathing problems I have ever had to deal with. Um, it was scary. I would be driving around um, to go get some curbside pickup, you know, with my mask on and stuff, sanitize the door handle and stuff. So people who touch my car don't get it. Um, and I would almost pass out just driving. Like it's, it was, it was bad. Um, and I mean, I, I never felt like I was going to die. Um, but it still like was really unpleasant. It was difficult to do things. I couldn't exercise. I haven't ex exercised in weeks um, as I eventually contracted it. And, you know, and, and it actually came to the point where I was talking to my mom and apparently we did have some sort of family history of blood clotting that I had a 25% chance of contracting. And so I ended up getting myself tested for that, you know, genetic defect and I ended up not having it. But the point is, is that, you know, I didn't even know it was a thing. I didn't even, I know, no, you don't know what's in your family history half the time, you know? Um, and it's, uh, the, the narrative really should be you're next. Like this is a really unpleasant disease and it sucks to not be able to breathe. Um, and you know, it, it, it's, it's a crazy kind of disease to, to, you know, be young, be active, be used to, you know, be, uh, uh being act like just generally healthy. And suddenly you're sitting in your living room, you get up to make yourself like some lunch and your heart rate spikes from 50 to a hundred, you know, just from that. And, uh, I don't know, it's just been, it's been crazy. My girlfriend now has been sick for over a month. Um, apparently from what I've heard from her independent research that she's been doing, um, the disease hits women a little bit harder than men um, in terms of the different side effects and the different um, symptoms. What I thought was really interesting is how many symptoms this disease has. Um, so for her, she's rolled through all of these different symptoms, you know, like rotating. So she'll get better on one and worse on another just on a given day. Um, and you know, like some weeks she feels like a little bit worse in this way and a little bit better in this other way, but still just like really sick. Um, and, uh, you know, even for me, I mean, I was only sick for a week, but still it was a really unpleasant week. Um, and uh, it was scary. So I, I mean, I just, I think it's interesting how we talk about this virus. You know, I think, um, there's a lot of people who are still going out to bars, who are still going out to public spaces and all that stuff. And we're refusing to comply with a lot of the different um, ordinances regarding um, the disease. And while, you know, I'm not all that happy about having to wear a mask in public, if it saves someone life, someone's life, it's worth it to me. Um, and if it stops me from getting the disease, I mean, you know, to all of our listeners and anyone who hears this, like, really, truly, it, it is a horrible disease. It's a lot worse than the flu, I think. Um, and the whole asymptomatic thing, I mean... I think a lot of it is that there's really minor symptoms at the beginning that people just don't notice. And then when you eventually do get a little bit sick, you think it's, 
you know, a different disease than it is. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's, 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 it's not good. And, uh, I really hope that, you know, people really start taking those kind of measures seriously because you might think you're low risk, but I mean, man, this is unpleasant, you know? So I, uh, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really about all I've got to say about it. It's just, it's been terrible. Don't get me wrong. I'm definitely sorry you're going through this and as well as your girlfriend. And I'm happy that um, you're doing okay, even though it's painful, even though it's tough, even though it's, it's not ending. I'm happy you're doing okay. Um, but you mentioned a couple of good things here. You mentioned that the media itself is kind of making this thing worse because people are confused by it. Either the media is saying that there's a recovery and people are no longer contracting it and we're getting better as a, as a nation or the media is becoming overdramatic about it and causing fear amongst everyone. It depends on what political views you have because you may say that, oh, we need the economy to open up again. Capitalism is running the nation and we need capitalism to begin and restart and rebirth. But the media, I think, is very selfish because all they care about is viewership. And you can't really trust the media anymore because all they care about is viewership. So a couple things. One, now that you have the virus, do you think it is more serious than it actually was or how you portrayed it before? Or have you always thought this was a serious matter? So, I mean, definitely as I got it, I mean, I, I kind of realized how more, much more serious it was. Um, I mean, it, it feels like, you know, like the, with the symptoms that if I was a more at-risk individual or I had like other things wrong with my body, that this thing could have been a lot worse. Um, and then I'm lucky that, you know, I'm, I'm healthy and I'm young. Um, and going back to your comment on the media, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think one of the problems is that, you know, our media has been stuck at 10, red alert, breaking news, you know, everything is a crisis for, you know, quite a while. And so when we actually have a real crisis, a lot of people just dismiss it because everything is a crisis, you know? Um, and I think like the, the media really kind of, I mean, as much as I do think the government has not responded very well, um, and definitely deserves a lot of criticism uh for its response um i mean at the same time you you have to keep it in in perspective that the most important thing is getting people to stay home and the more partisan you make your criticisms the more likely um supporters of you know a, one party or one president or another um will will not follow the advice you're giving them um, and the point is, is that this, the, the whole lockdown doesn't work unless everybody participates, unless everybody is on the same level. And the fact that, I mean, there is one asshole or a hundred, you know, people who are out, um, you know, partying and doing whatever they want um, and, and, and having public contact just makes this whole costly lockdown um, useless because they could be spreading the virus amongst themselves and, the, and, and as soon as the lockdown opens up again, they just spread the virus to everybody else. Um, but there's a lot of different kind of segments of the lockdown that were done really poorly throughout the country. And I do want to say that um, while I do believe 
that the lockdown, I think the lockdown was necessary, but I think that we executed it really poorly. Um, we weren't prepared. And um, the, the initial actions that we took, I mean, we had a lot of advantages. The United States has the most well-funded healthcare um, preventative infrastructure. We were rated as the number one country who was prepared for pandemics. You know, I mean, we, there really was no country that was in a better position to respond to this than us. And we fumbled, you know, I mean, we now have the most cases of any nation, both per capita and um, uh, in, in the world. I mean, it's, uh, and by total cases. So it's just, it, it just, it feels to me like we really bungled this in a really catastrophic way. And the really sad part is, is it's just going to end up with more suffering. I mean, look, I can get the coronavirus. My girlfriend can get their coronavirus and we're going to be fine. You know, I mean, yeah, we get a few weeks off of work um, and we sit here and suffer for a little while, but we're okay. You know, like we just, we quarantine, we make sure we don't give it to anybody else. Um, and that's that. But there are people out there who can't, who don't have that, you know, um, that luxury. There are people out there who need to go to work um, to, in order to eat. You know, they, they have kids to mouths to feed um, or, you know, uh, and, and, and I don't think that those people are being given the adequate support. Um, so it's just a really hard question. Um, and I don't think that we've been able to come up with, an, with a good answer. And I don't think that even just the way that we're talking about it is useful. I mean, you should really be scared at your, you should be scared and you should be staying home because you're scared, not because, um, you know, you think you're going to die or you're not going to die. You're saving someone's life or whatever. You should be concerned for your own life for sure. I think with this virus. Now you spoke about how I would say there's, there's physical consequences consequences there's the health consequences there's the mental emotional consequences of staying home being locked up going through this being scared but you haven't touched up on the social consequences how people would betray you as how people may fear you how people may want to distance themselves from you how people may be uh talking about you because you have this infamous COVID-19 virus you contracted it you're part of the few who actually did how is that going? Are people trying to distance themselves from you? Are people teasing you about it? Are people laughing at you? Tell me about that. Well, I mean, you know, I think I've been poking a good amount of fun at myself, you know, uh, you know, among my friends and family. Um, and uh, I mean, I don't know if people, cause I'm, I've distanced myself from everybody at this point. So, you know, it's, it's hard to like really know if they're distancing themselves from me. Um, I, uh, I mean, I think that for sure, I mean, I, I can't see my grandparents anytime soon. Um, and even if I wanted to, my family wouldn't let me, you know, which, which definitely sucks. But um, it's, uh, I think, I mean, so long as I wait, you know, the, the you're supposed to wait, I think, 10 days after any, any of your last symptoms before you can go out and do anything um, and break quarantine. And so long as I do that, I don't really see any long-term social consequences. Um, I think overall things are going to return to normal for me once I, you know, am all good. And I think it's the same thing for my girlfriend, but I mean, I do think that the social dynamic in our country overall is very much changed. I mean, I joke that, you know, when everybody goes back to the bars, like no one's going to remember how to talk to each other. 
which I mean, you know, it's, it's just kind of crazy that, you know, we're, we're a very social country. Um, our culture very much revolves around, you know, being around other people and going out and, you know, doing things uh, and being in public places and participating in public events. And, you know, I think people might be more uh, reserved in terms of the events that they participate in, which I think is a really crazy concept. I mean, in a place like America where, you know, football games, uh, movie theater nights, um, you know, bars and clubs. I mean, that's how we have fun, you know, without that, I mean, you know, without that, like, what do we do? I mean, we, yeah, Netflix and, you know, virtual sporting events are cool, but it's just like, there's a, there's a hole, you know, I mean, I feel so cooped up um, from sitting here alone. I mean, with my girlfriend, obviously, but you know, that's the only human contact that I have in a given day, you know? Now, how is that? Is there any fighting between you two? Do you think your relationship is becoming stronger? Do you think that mentally you're becoming more depressed or more saddened? Overall, I think things are fine. Uh, I mean, it, it, like, I think it's, it's just, it's interesting. It's definitely interesting being stuck with just one person inside for months at a time. I mean, now we're going on month three of the coronavirus, you know? Um, and I've, I've, I've like personally talked to like one or two other people other than my girlfriend for the past three months. That's never happened before in my life where you're, where I'm just like completely socially like confined like this. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it is crazy. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I definitely think that that's, it's an interesting, um, you know, kind of, I, I think effect on people to, to have that kind of be, you know, to have like your sort of social, I think everybody's kind of an introvert now, you know, in a weird kind of way, um, which is really weird. So, yeah. Now let's go into the subject that you're most specialized in, and that is politics. Now, who do you think will win the next presidential election? Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I, I can't, I can't say that. You know, I mean, anyone who's, like I've said before on this podcast, anyone who tries to tell you who they like, who they think is going to win, I mean, it's, they're trying to deceive you or, you know, um, they're trying to push an agenda. It's just, it's not saying who they think is going to win is crazy. It's months away. Anything could happen. Scandals, corruption, you know, breakthroughs, you know, exposés or whatever. I mean, investigations, anything could happen. You know, Biden could die tomorrow. Trump could die tomorrow. They're both old. And there's a pandemic that kills old people that's running around, you know, killing old people so it's like it's, it's it, i mean i think it's too it's too uh, like of an open field for me to really and now kanye west is getting in the race he so he says right I, I don't even know it might even be too late for him to get on the ballots i, I haven't even looked into it but um uh like if, if he gets in the race maybe he'll split the vote right i mean you know who knows um but that's fair um it, what do you think if the election was held today, based on the information that's out there today, the polls that are being conducted today, and just the general political climate, what is your best guess? Well, I think, I think the coronavirus uh, crisis has really negatively impacted Trump um, because, I mean, regardless of whether you think he's a good leader, regardless of you, whether you think he's a, an effective administrator or he has good viruses – the United States has performed much worse um, than other countries in terms of 
um, our virus response. Now, we were always more vulnerable to a global pandemic. You know, the United States specifically has a lot of different kind of like cultural and economic vulnerabilities to a pandemic that make us, you know, different than a lot of countries. But regardless of that, I mean, the scale of, you know, how the virus has impacted us versus other countries is crazy. Um, so I think that the, the, the you know, when, when, the, when the country is doing well, when the economy is doing well, you generally assume that the person in charge is doing a good job. And I think when the economy was doing well, um, you know, Trump could say, look, you know what, like me, don't like me, like my style, don't like my style. He, everybody has jobs. Everybody's making more money. Overall, things are okay. And now that's no longer happening. And, you know, the virus, the first real crisis of his presidency um, you know, the country's performing poorly. And so I think people do blame him for that. And I think people are going to blame him for that. And I think it's really hurt him among his really core demographics or people who were flip-flopping, who couldn't really tell, um, you know, whether or not they, who, who they should vote for. Um, there was a, there was a poll that I saw that, um, there's a specific segment of the American electorate, um, that hates both candidates. There always has been, right? I mean, you know, there's a, say 10% of people who vote hated both Hillary and Trump. And then, you know, Democrats liked Hillary, Republicans liked Trump. Overall, in the 2016 election, those people overwhelmingly voted for Trump, you know, given whether like they both, they hated Hillary and they hated Trump. So they closed their eyes and said, screw it, I'm going to pick one and I pick Trump. That demographic, apparently, at least as far as the polls go, um, now overwhelmingly would vote for Biden over Trump. Um, and if that's a good bellwether, I mean, you know, um, that, 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 I mean, I think that's an interesting bellwether to look at because Republicans generally vote for the Republican nominee. Democrats generally vote for the Democrat nominee. It's just the way that our country works. Um, but a, a group like that, that hates both candidates kind of passionately, yet they're leaning toward one, I think is a good indicator. Also, just because of the electoral college, um, it, it kind of breaks up the American election into 50 different elections where each state is kind of its own country, right? And you need to be able to convince, you know, voters in Wisconsin and voters in California, right? Two drastically different states, drastically different economies, drastically different demographics to vote for the same guy. And I think, I mean, Trump's performance, he has been able to disappoint or piss off people in every single state no matter where they're from or how much money they have or what they look like or whatever. I mean, he's managed to bungle the crisis and affect every American negatively. And when that happens, when you're able to do something that affects every American negatively, it does not bode well for your presidency. So if you were to hold the election today, in my personal opinion, I think Joe Biden would win. Um, and uh, I mean, also polls are, are showing that, that he's ahead right now. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, a lot of the different indicators and reporters and political pollsters that I, uh, respect said that around when, when the coronavirus, before the coronavirus crisis, Joe Biden had about a 50% chance of winning and that Trump had about a 50% chance of winning. And as the crisis started, right. And Trump refrained from attacking anybody. And he finally, you know, uh, declared the national emergency. He started kind of initiating the steps of America's crisis response, even if it was a little late, his chances actually went up, you know, generally in times of a crisis, America, it's called the rally around the flag effect, you know, in a time of crisis, 
Americans tend to fall back on generally supporting the government and saying, you know what, this is a crisis, do what you need to do, um, Republican, Democrat, whatever, like it's time for us to come together as a country and figure this out. Um, and that the effect of the, and the, the window that that happened and the overall effect on his polling was much smaller than, than other past presidents uh, who go through that kind of effect. Like in 9-11, Bush received an overwhelming amount of support um, uh, in terms of, you know what, we need to rally around the flag. We need to fix this, fix this crisis. We need to, um, you know, figure out who attacked us and why they attacked us and go after them and all that stuff. Um, Trump received a bump, but then as soon as it became clear that he was bungling it, his approval rating plunged among key demographics. And he has been doing really poorly. And he's been, he's also done, um, uh, he's made a series of very serious mistakes. I mean, you know, in the midst of, uh, and it, they're, they're minor mistakes, but they they play up a certain narrative about him. For instance, um, there's a, a, you know, having a massive rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma um, during a pandemic and also having it in Oklahoma where there were specifically massive race riots that were on the anniversary um, of his rally. It's like... You know, it just doesn't, it just, it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. It's like, obviously like maybe he didn't plan it. Maybe it was an accident. You know, like there's a lot of like benefit of the doubt kind of thing. I mean, Trump does a lot of things without kind of thinking. He just says, I'm going to, you know, like hold a rally in Oklahoma because I should, you know, or whatever. Um, and I have a lot of supporters there or whatever. It's just like not thinking about that kind of stuff allows people to cast him in a bad light. And, you know, maybe, I mean, it, it allows people to question it, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, it just seems like very poorly timed. Also, I mean, even, you know, uh, uh, Jar Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, he rejected the pandemic. He said it was a joke. He refused to close down. Um, now, he might have even tested positive for the coronavirus, and he's called himself the Trump of South America. Um, he is now wearing a mask, at least, you know, and he has been on TV for a little while now. Um, he's finally starting to, you know, shut down the country, like, or he started to shut down the country a little while ago, but it's too late. Brazil's catching up with the United States in terms of scale of crisis, all that stuff. Trump doesn't even wear a mask. He's the only world leader I've seen on TV that doesn't wear a mask, even when they don't have to, because it's like, I mean, look, at the end of the day, regardless of whether he needs to wear a mask or not, it's, it's something that is a big change for people. It's something that, you know, like no one is used to wearing a mask, you know, in public, unless, you know, you're, you're unless you come from Asia and that's already part of your cultural, cultural practices. Um, having a president, you know, someone you see on TV who's supposed to, you're supposed to respect and supposed to, you know, um, be the leader, right. Wearing a mask and disrupting his own life and saying, Hey, look, you know what, this is something that we need to do is, you know, I think a powerful symbol and it helps people kind of realize that it's a big deal. When he doesn't do it, um, it makes people, there's always an argument that someone can make and say, you know what, the president who knows things, you know, he like, sure, people are saying to wear a mask, but he doesn't wear a mask. Maybe, you know what, maybe there's something that he knows that other people don't. I'm just going to follow what he says and what he does. And if he doesn't wear a mask, I'm not going to wear a mask. You know, it just, I think it's bad you know, um, uh, it, it just, it, it overall, I think doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I think his response to, you know, protests, right. I mean, he was, protests were happening and looting was happening and sure there was a lot of disorder, a lot of things that Americans don't agree with, um, happened, but his response was send in the military. I mean, 
That doesn't happen in the United States. You don't deploy the military into the streets. The military, even the, his head general sent out a memo to, um, to, to officers, to every officer in the U.S. military that said, we do not deploy to the streets. That's not how we do things here. I like Just so you guys know, it is your duty to the Constitution of the United States to follow the laws of the land, regardless of who you support. Do, we will not deploy to the streets. Um, and the, the, his top general even apologized for being in a photo op um, after the protest because he said he said it sent the wrong message. And this is the kind of stuff that you know a president should be thinking of. If president's supposed to be a professional politician, a general isn't. You know, um, I mean, there's just a lot of series of errors that I see Trump making that I think is really kind of pushing a lot of voters who were you know hanging on saying, you know what, he's been good for my wallet. He's been good for my 401k. Business is good. I'm going to vote for Trump. I don't care if he's, you know, a little bit brash or a little bit insensitive. I think that that argument is really being undermined by his, his actions recently. So I would say Biden. Great, great, great informative answer. And I loved how you spoke about the representation of how a president is supposed to act in front of his or her nation and how that has a huge effect on people's behavior. I think that was a great point. Not only does politics and political strategy and political ideology and polling have an effect on who's going to win the presidential election, you know, uh, economics and what our stock market and what our economy is going through also has a huge impact. And the consequences now is in March when everything closed unemployment skyrocketed and people were either filing bankruptcy or filing for welfare of some sort. And that alone, unemployment rising, stock market crashing, that alone would have made Trump's election not very feasible because the economy is, is, what, is what people live off of. It's what runs a nation. But now with the restart and the recovery in the stock market, I, I don't know if the economy will have an impact on who wins this election. Historically, if Trump and Biden were, were running against each other, Biden would win because the, the unemployment rate is, is, is at a high, it's higher than 10%. I don't know exactly what it is because the numbers are always off. And we have... Permanent job losses as well as temporary job losses. So the unemployment rate now, how it's calculated, it's not very true to the actual number of jobs that are in the labor market versus the number of jobs that lost and then were just disappeared out of the labor market. So it's very confusing. And those numbers don't represent what actually is. As well as the stock market is at its previous all-time high due to liquidity. It's not due to people's confidence increasing. It's not due to investors being more optimistic about the future of the U.S.'s economy. It's about liquidity. It's about the Fed pumping billions and billions and billions and almost trillions of dollars into the stock market, into corporate bonds, into uh, government bonds, and into, hopefully not soon, but into stocks. And this isn't a unique uh, way of, of practicing. They can model what they're doing now from the Swiss banks and also the Bank of Japan, where Swiss banks and Bank of Japan 
I've been buying stocks and equity for, for decades. So this isn't a rare event occurring, but it definitely is making some type of facade in the market today. And yes, I do agree that we can never know what will happen in the next three months because there's a lot that could happen. But it's important to realize that there are more, many more factors and many more things affecting presidential elections coming up. And your voice does matter, so please use your right to vote when, when you are able to vote in the future. No matter how you're able to vote, either through uh, the mail, either through polling stations, either online, but make sure you do use that vote. And uh, just to summarize this podcast today, we spoke about the impact and consequences of receiving and contracting COVID-19 and going through that. Uh, One more question, Alex, that I wasn't able to ask you. You're living in a very impacted state now. It's one of the most hurt states by COVID-19, and it's Texas. How is that being in Texas? In in what city are you living in? And, And how is your city experiencing this? Are, is there tons of stores becoming bankrupt and closed? Are the people uh, not going out? Are the streets like a desert? So I think, honestly, this is the one of the like best questions you've asked me because um, I, th- I think the way to really evaluate how this pandemic has affected the country is really just to look around at your community. Um, and you know, I mean, if you look around and you see stores that, you know, um, closing, uh, and you know, you see parks that you go to being empty. Um, I mean, that's really the best way to see the scale of how this has affected everything. Um, I would say that Texas was overall pretty skeptical, um, uh, about the pandemic initially. Um, and eventually, I mean, the, the state opened very quickly. Um, and I think that it's quick kind of doubt about the pandemic allowed or pushed the state to open too quickly and has really burdened the Houston area with a huge resurgence of the coronavirus in the local area. So, um, the Houston, just for a little bit of background, Houston has what's called the med center here. It's basically a little mini city of hospitals. It's got the most hospital beds, I think, per capita of any city in the United States, the best medical care, I think, of any city in the United States, um, and the most well-funded hospitals, the most research that happens. I mean, as far as like, you know, I think medical care is one of the largest just sort of industries in the Houston area. And uh, it's, it's crazy. I, I actually, I went to the med center to get a little bit of uh, treatment for the coronavirus. And I mean, it was crazy being in it, you know? Um it these this this massive hospital plex is almost completely full um with coronavirus cases and you know they're 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 not quite yet choosing who's going to live and who's going to die but they're getting there and it's you know i mean there there have been businesses that you know are down the street that have closed um there's a greek restaurant just down the street that i never even got a chance to go to because they closed and they've been there forever um you know i mean this uh Definitely, public spaces um, are, uh, are are less uh, full, and I mean, you know, even just like looking at things on the street, there's this uh, this black lady who sits in a golf cart, um, and she patrols the um, uh, the parking lot and the parking structure of a bank across the street. 
Um, and since, you know, me and my girlfriend are stuck inside, we look outside the window and we see this lady doing her laps. Um, about three weeks ago, she stopped doing her laps. It was something that happened every single day. We would, we could set the clock or set our clocks by, um, this lady is going to do her lap patrolling, uh, the, the parking lot. She's no longer there. I don't know what's happened to her. Maybe she got fired. Maybe she got furloughed. Maybe the bank changed its schedule, but this is something that was so regular. It was like me and my girlfriend would look up and see her do her lap, you know, like a few times a day. And, um, I mean, that to me is, is really a meaningful, um, kind of image of like how everything is changing. Um, you know, the restaurants that I go to now there's plexiglass. Um, now there's, you know, um, uh, uh, curbside pickup stores, uh, or curbside pickup signs right outside the restaurant, because that's just something that everybody does now. Um, there's lines around the block for that, those kind of services. Um, I mean, just how fundamentally this is changing everything and how fundamentally, um, you know, everything that we do is going to change. I think that they're, you know, if, if people can have a few good, really great ideas, they can make a lot of money and they can be really successful in this time of change. But a lot of the systems that we used to rely on, a lot of the services that we used to expect, I mean, have to change. Everything has to change, you know? Um, and it's a, it's a really crazy time for, I think, all of us in a modern society because our expectations of what it means to participate uh, in modern society have to change nowadays. And it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a really trippy kind of um, uh, experience. I mean, we're, we're, this is going to be, you know, in our kids, fourth grade history books. And I think that that's to me, like the, just the scale of like how deep this crisis is, you know? Now, besides the awareness aspect of it, besides talking about it and having sympathy towards it, how can we support what's going on in this crisis? Is there anything else we could do as a society, as an audience, as a podcast host? How, how can we support this in any other way besides giving awareness towards it and besides having sympathy towards it? Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is vote, you know, I mean, that's, you know, half of Americans vote every um, presidential election. Um, it's the most important election. It affects everybody. It's a huge deal. And half of our country votes, a little bit over half, which is crazy to me. And that's not actually, that's, that's a, that's a, poor thing to say not half of our country half of registered voters um like i mean it's the, the amount of people don't vote people don't vote in their local elections either and that's extremely impactful people don't vote in congressional elections because they don't i mean either they don't care or they're not educated on the topic and i think that it's you know being a, a member of you know a modern society i mean most people used to spend their time foraging for food or, you know, um, working their long hours in a factory. And if you genuinely spend every hour of your life either sleeping, eating, or working, then it's hard to expect you to be an active civil participant. Fine. But that's not true for most people in America anymore. Most people in America are middle class. And if you have spare time and you don't devote at least a little bit of that spare time to getting up to date on, um, you know, issues in our society and participating, even at the, even in your local community, you know, maybe you don't care about the national government. Maybe you don't care about what the, who, who sits in the president in the Oval Office, you know, um, I would say most people do, but maybe you don't. 
maybe you just care about, you know, your streets being paved or, you know, sidewalks being expanded or public transit or whatever. I mean, it's the most important thing that you can do is educate yourself and vote. Okay, so, um, tell, me, so educate- tell me something. How can we make people care more about voting and how can we allow people to become more educated on the topic of voting and politics? Well, I think it has to start with how we conduct our conversations. I think that's really the most important thing. Um, when you talk to somebody about politics, I think it's really important to um, to not belittle people, um, to not assault people, to not call people uneducated um, or ignorant. I mean, it's more important to have a discussion. I mean, if you you know you're not going to change somebody's mind um, the first in the, in the first conversation in the first word, and at the end of the day, you yourself might not be correct. You know, I think that's really the, one of the most important lessons uh, is that you, you should have skepticism about your own beliefs. You should always be trying to learn more about what you believe and why you believe it, and not just accept, um, uh, you know, the, kind of the beliefs that are being pushed to you, right? I mean, you know, to look into the history and the context of things, but even if you get bored by history, right, to just, when you have a conversation, be able to listen to what other people have to say um, and to be able to hear new ideas and to not recoil from them, um, you know, uh, and, and fall back to the safety of what you think you already know. Because most people, including myself, really have, you know, no idea how things really work. You know, the amount of knowledge that we have is very surface level. Um, and, you know, hearing things that challenge what you think, I mean, either it makes your belief stronger because you realize that you yourself really are correct, um, or... Uh, you know, it allows you to be better by learning something new. And it's not just something that, you know, we need to learn as citizens, but it's also something that, you know, our media isn't even projecting anymore. The people that we res- are supposed to respect, congressmen, presidents, whatever, they don't do that anymore. And, you know, I think that, you know, the first thing our leaders have to take this um, into consideration. But, you know, if the cit- if, if we as citizens um, can, can conduct ourselves in a civil manner, then I think that we can really fix most of society's problems. We can start to really make progress on, you know, clothing and feeding the poor and educating the masses and making sure that people have what they need to build a better future. Thank you, Alex. And you're very humble and you're very intelligent in the political space. And we definitely enjoyed having you as a guest. And thank you for being on. Matthew, any closing thoughts? I just want to say, Alex, I... Thank you, like like Cameron said, thank you for all of your insight, for being with us today, and um, also good luck recovering uh, from coronavirus and to your girlfriend as well. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, guys. Good to be on. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to our newsletter by clicking on the link in the podcast notes below. Thank you all for listening in. We hope you've enjoyed this week's What's Up podcast, and we would love your feedback and to hear what's up in your lives. Free to shoot us an email at the address in the podcast notes below.